Let's pray together. So, Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, help us to hear your word today and to uh, hear your voice in the midst of it. Lord, I know I'm going to be speaking, but it's your voice we want to hear. Lord, and I ask you for words that will come and, uh, Lord, just bring life and truth and freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, this morning we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture which I am sure you will know well, and it's the Transfiguration. And uh, so why don't we just read this together? So it's Luke 9, 28 to 36. You can turn to it in your Bibles. This is the ESV version, and obviously it's up here. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he, that's Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. You know, there are some times, aren't there, when we read a passage of Scripture, and I think just the right response is to say, oh, don't you think, with that, don't you think, what, what, what on earth was that? That is just bizarre. What a bizarre passage of Scripture. We've got Jesus here taking three, three disciples up a mountain to pray, and all of a sudden, his face starts to shine. Uh, that's obviously quite normal for you, but, for, <laughs> but for, for me, that is not normal. That's extraordinary. It says the appearance of his face was physically altered. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says uh, his face shone like the sun. Uh, in another uh, 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 Gospel, it says he was brighter than any bleach could, could bleach him or his clothes. Um, uh, It says here that in this passage of scripture that his clothes become dazzling white. I think you're quite within your rights to when you read that to say, what's just happened? Because that is very, very strange. Well, what has just happened? Well, I think these three disciples have just got a glimpse of the glory of God. The glory, the radiant glory of God of God has just suddenly been unveiled to them. Jesus, we know, is fully man, but he is also fully God. And just for a little glimpse, a little moment, 
we get a, a glimpse, as it were, of the non-human side of God, the divine nature, the glorious divine nature of who he is. <clears throat> and it's something that we just occasionally get a little taste of in Scripture. And um, uh, it's, like, it's like what happens is this. The curtain gets pulled back and we get to see what it's like and what he is like. Just a glimpse. And here are some other examples. We've got Christmas coming up. Who can think of an example around the Christmas story of the glory of God? Angels. Thank you. Oh, top of the class, Graham. Well done. Yeah, so an angel appears to shepherds. And what does it say? It says, the glory of God. So you do remember it all from... Yes, excellent. Um, the glory of the Lord shone about. Something of his radiant glory just pours off this angel. And, and what was the reaction of the shepherds? They were terrified. Well, you would be. This is what is that going on? When the temple was built all those years ago by Solomon, it says the Ark of the Covenant is brought into it. And it says the glory of the Lord comes into that building. And it says uh, it was like a cloud of his presence. And because the glory of God is there, it says the priests were unable to stand up. They all fell over because of this glory of God that appears. Another little time when the curtain is just pulled back and you think, whoa, this is our God. Look, look at him. And then uh, another time, of course, it would be Moses when he goes up uh, on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. What happens to Moses? His face is shining. That's right. His, his face begins to shine with the reflected glory of God. And we've just now seen the transfiguration. And sometimes we just forget God is glorious. It's just a reminder when we read this, this is, this is our God. We get so used to seeing Jesus in his human form, don't we? As a great teacher with really wise things to say and miracles. We forget he's awesome. He's an awesome God that we serve um, I was reading Philippians 2, and it says this. It says this about Jesus. He laid aside his mighty power and glory, and taking the disguise, great word, disguise of a slave, and becoming like men. It's as though Jesus, this glorious Son of God, takes humanity and wraps it around him like a disguise. And then he comes to earth, fully man, but fully God. He's wrapped humanity around him like a disguise. And just for a moment, he's pulled back his disguise and revealed to his disciples, whoa, look at who he is uh, and, and the, the glory of God. I was trying to think of a good example. The best one I could think of, and it sort of works, is this one. <laughs> Who's seen that film, Coming to America, Eddie Murphy? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it too. Apparently, there's a sequel coming out next year. Um, but you, you remember the story of this. So Eddie Murphy plays this, plays this great African prince. He's a super wealthy guy, super sort of famous in his particular part of Africa. And he wants to find a wife, but he's convinced that uh, somebody will just marry him for his money. So he goes to America, and he pretends to be poor. And uh, he becomes, I think, a cleaner in a kind of a, in a burger restaurant. 
And uh, he eventually, oh, yeah, he finds the girl. And I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, but there you go. He finds the girl, and they get married, and it's all very lovely and all that kind of stuff. It was as though Eddie Murphy had put, or this character, had put poverty over him like a disguise and to hide what was the glory of his wealth that was there. And that's kind of what our Jesus has done. He put humanity over him uh, to kind of to cover uh, his full glory. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Paul gets very excited sometimes, doesn't he, in his letters. Uh, And uh, he was talking about God, and he says this. He says, um, he is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality. And then he says this, who dwells in unapproachable light. We have a God who dwells in unapproachable glory. Wow. Wow. And we just get a glimpse of it there. I think we can say, wow. Wow. Yeah, like that. But I think the other thing we need to do is to say, okay, when you read a passage of scripture like that, is to ask, why? So why did this happen then? Why did, why did he suddenly transfigure? Why didn't that happen a few you know, months ago? Or why didn't it happen nearer the cross? Why, why the transfiguration? Uh, you know, what, I kind of, was Jesus just showing off? Was this like a party trick? Well, hey, look at this! No, 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 he wasn't. I think what's happening here, as I'm just studying these scriptures, I think this transfiguration we need to come to see is an essential element in helping the disciples understand what is about to come. Something's going to come. And they need to understand it. And the transfiguration is, a, is about saying, hey, this is going to help you at that time. Because God is preparing them for the cross of Jesus. The cross of Christ is about to come. And the cross is really going to mess with their heads. There you go. That's a man-looking-confused uh, slide. The cross is really important, but it's really, really going to mess with their heads. You see, they've just discovered who Jesus is. Do you remember Ian talking about this last week? They've suddenly discovered that Jesus is the Messiah. They've, we've just been on a journey over the last few weeks, haven't we, of preaching. We've discovered that Jesus isn't just a... Uh, sorry, we've just discovered that he is Lord over the natural world. Do you remember that? When the stilling of the storm, he's Lord over the spiritual world. When the demoniac was set free, and he's Lord over life and death. When Jairus' daughter is healed. And they're all saying, whoa. And then, with, with all of that, suddenly they have the revelation. This isn't just a great prophet. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. And they've had that revelation. And of course, they look back, and that revelation's got legs. Because they've seen what he's been doing. So what happens then when they understand that Jesus is the Messiah? If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, this is a critical moment in their discipleship. Because as soon as they discover that he is the Messiah, it says from this point on, Jesus begins to tell them something. He begins to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer and die at the hands of men and then must be raised again. And he repeats that, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He repeats that on a number of occasions from this point on. As soon as they discover who he is, from that point on, until the cross itself, Jesus is saying, this is what's going to come. You need to understand it. You need to understand that. He's preparing them for the cross. 
Because the cross is going to be really hard to understand. And I suggest it's going to be even harder for them to see this saviour who they love put on a cross and his body ripped apart. It's going to be very hard indeed. And Peter in particular is going to struggle, isn't he? Our friend Peter. Don't we love Peter? He is going to struggle to get his head around this thing of the cross. It's very confusing to him. He kicks against it, doesn't he, Peter? So he says, no, no, Lord, this will never happen. That's not a good idea to say to Jesus, you're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong, Jesus. I know better than you. I would just never do that, really. But he did. And Jesus, we know, strongly rebukes him. No. So Peter's very confused because this is the wrong script for the Messiah. The Messiah should become the king of the nation and make the nation great, shouldn't he? That's what the Messiah should do. And this is particularly confusing for Peter because they've just seen Jesus so powerfully dominant over all these different areas. Storms are stilled at his voice. And are you really telling me that the one who created all of this, the one who is clearly so superior over all of these things, is going to be taken by men and killed? Do you see his confusion? Why would that happen? That can't be right. You're a king. You call on your armies and they come and they fight for you, don't you? That's what kings do. So why aren't you? It doesn't make sense to Peter at all. It doesn't make sense at all. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had times when God just doesn't make sense to you? When you think, but surely God, you're God. All you've got to do is click your fingers and you get me out of this trouble. And he doesn't. Anyone been in that situation? Yeah, not not just me. God has a purpose sometimes that we don't immediately understand. He has purposes for you that you don't immediately understand. You see, the cross, understanding the cross, which they do through, and we'll explain in a minute, how they, um, um, the, the transfiguration helps them to understand the cross. If they hadn't, the cross could have said this to the disciples. It could have said, he isn't the Lord of glory after all, because he's died on a cross. It could have said, he's a failure. Look, see? It could have said, he isn't a powerful king at all. He can't even defend himself. That's what the cross could have said. The cross could have said, he isn't sovereign over all things. Look, he's subject to the will of humans. That's what the cross could have communicated. And God is working very hard to help the disciples understand the cross. Let's have a look then at the the contrast between the transfiguration and what it's showing them and the cross. Are you with me? Hello, is everyone here? Okay. So what's happening here? Well, it says that Jesus' appearance was changed. His face was going to be changed to bright glory. We've just read that, haven't we? He's got his face. He is the glorious king. But on the cross, his face is also going to be changed. How is his face going to be changed on the cross? He's going to be beaten. It says that uh, Roman soldiers are going to take, and uh, that what they do, they take sticks and they beat him around the head. 
and his face is going to be changed and he's going to be disfigured beyond recognition. He's going to be beaten to a pulp. In Isaiah 52, it says that Jesus would be marred beyond human semblance so that people would be astonished at his awful appearance. The transfiguration is, is explaining who he is. Look at the glory. Look, look at who he is. The cross sees the very opposite displayed. Here, what do we see? We see even Jesus' clothes becoming dazzling white and glorious. They reflect the glory of God, even his clothes. What happens on the cross? Jesus' clothes would be covered in blood, sweat, and dirt, and even what he had would be taken from him, and he would be left naked, exposing him to shame. The removal of his clothes have the opposite effect. Here, Jesus, in, in the Transfiguration, we read, is accompanied by two men, by uh, um, uh, heroes of the Old Testament, uh, Moses and Elijah, kind of summing up the, the law and the prophets. These men were hugely uh, esteemed. They were kind of at the top, really, of Jewish culture, Moses and Elijah. No one is more respected than they are. On the cross, Jesus is accompanied by two men, but they're criminals. The leaders of the people are saying to Jesus, that's where you belong, you're a criminal. The very opposite of what uh, we see here. When <clears throat> Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah, it is speaking of Jesus' significance and his importance, the role that he will fulfill. And they are clearly saying, oh yes, how are you going to accomplish your, we couldn't do it, but you are going to accomplish this great mighty purpose of God. There is actually, the transfiguration says, there is no one more significant than Jesus. Yet the cross says, Dying with criminals, you have no significance, no importance. You're just rubbish. Do you see the contrast we're getting between the transfiguration? Transfiguration is revealing the truth about who Jesus really is. Last one, last couple. Here Jesus is displayed in bright white glory. On the cross, what happens at 12 o'clock? Darkness falls over the land. Dark. It says the sun's light failed. It's the way the Bible describes it. For three hours, darkness covers the land. Again, the very opposite of what we see Jesus when he's unfurled in his glory. Lastly, what do we see? We see this. We see the Father's voice in the transfiguration saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. He's hearing his father's affirmation and love clearly spoken over him. There's no disputing it. His voice is clearly ringing out. On the cross, Jesus will be alone. And he will cry out, why have you forsaken me? He will feel that he is rejected because the father will make, uh, uh, the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us. The father has nothing to do with sin. Jesus will feel like he's the rejected one, not the chosen one, although he is the chosen one. So when the disciples eventually reach the cross, they're going to know what the truth is. 
they're going to know that he is actually glorious because they will have seen the truth. Does this make sense? They will see who he is. And they will know that the cross was done intentionally, willingly, by a God who could have stopped it, but didn't, but chose to do it. The cross, therefore, was not a mistake, but it was an incredible demonstration of the love and mercy and kindness of an all-powerful God. Of an all-powerful God. So the transfiguration then, I believe, is a really important part of them being prepared and made ready for the cross. It just wasn't a nice experience to have. There was real function and purpose behind it. Uh, I think the urgency of preparing them for the cross is emphasized by the fact that even the father gets involved in discipling the disciples. Because when he says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him, who's he speaking to? The disciples, he's not speaking to Jesus. He's speaking to the disciples saying, hey, come on guys, get ready. And when he says, the chosen one, what he's saying to Peter is, you know, Peter, you had that revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. You're right. He is the chosen one. And then he says, listen to him. What, what specifically? Is, is the father saying, just listen to everything that Jesus says? Well, that's a, that's a good policy. Or is he saying, listen specifically to what he is saying to you at the moment about the fact that he's going to suffer and die? This repeated message. So the father himself is getting involved in the uh, uh, discipling process. It shows the urgency uh, of what's being done here. I want to say to you, I think there are times when God wants to prepare you and me in advance for difficult things that are going to come up in our lives. Has anyone ever found that? That God has spoken to them in advance. I was thinking about this. I realized there are three. I can think of three separate occasions. When I know God has spoken to me about things that are either going to be confusing to me. Or very painful to me. Three separate things. One of them was leading this church. Which was very confusing to me. <clears throat> a few years ago. And another one was when my mum died. She died in um, 2011, and uh, <clears throat> uh, I became a Christian when I was about 16. I was the first Christian member of my family. I prayed for my, my family. From that point, and I'm still praying for my brother now, my sister became a Christian a few years later. My dad, on his deathbed, three weeks before he died, made a confession of faith. But my mum had never made a confession of faith that I was aware of anyway. And three and a half years before she died, she had a stroke and uh, went into hospital. She, after two or three months, she came out and uh, she went back home. And we put some carers in, uh, four carers a day going in to look after her. And uh, it kind of worked. My brother and my sister and myself would go in regularly. And then uh, three and a half years later, she had another stroke. And she went into hospital, but she was alive. So we just thought, okay, it's going to be a slightly worse version of what we had before. We might have to sell the house. How are we going to look after her? How's that going to work? Um, so we were fully expecting her to come out. And I remember I'd gone to visit her at the old Tunbridge Wells Hospital, which isn't there anymore. Thank goodness, terrible old thing. Um, and I was just, I'd gone outside. I think someone else had gone in to visit my mum. And I was just outside. I'd just gone out for some air. And there was this cycle track running 
uh, through the grounds and there was this big sign and it said end of the road with a big cross through it and as soon as I saw it I knew God had said it's the end of the road for your mum she's not going to be coming out and I can remember the shock of that moment thinking really because I don't know where she stands with you how can this be right and then I got a, a call a few days later. They said, you better come in soon. We don't think she's going to survive the day. And when I got there, she died. And that was tough. That was really tough. And there was a lot of turmoil in me because I was saying, but God, I don't know if she's saved and where is she? And what about her eternity? And God, I've been praying for this and what's happening? But the thing that comforted me was the fact that I know God had said to me, I am saying to you, Adam, that it is her time to die now. That brought great comfort to me because there was this sense God had prepared me in advance and he had said, her eternity is up to me, not you. And I am saying, there's a time for somebody to be born and a time for them to die and I'm saying it is her time now. So with that, you're able to say, okay, Lord, I don't understand that. don't see how that works. But all I know is that God loves you and he loves me. And if you walk with him, there are times when he wants to prepare you for difficult things ahead. If you will listen. If you will be listening. To say there are three times in my life when I felt God say that. Okay. A couple of other quick things that I'd like to take a look at. We need to look at the doctrine of glorification. The doctrine, a doctrine is like a bit of truth. Um, and it's a really important Christian doctrine. And it's something we don't probably look at quite enough. <clears throat> and uh, uh, the, the doctrine of glorification, uh, it, what it means is that one day, you and I, if we're believers, will have a body like Jesus's. We've just had a little glimpse at Jesus's body. You and I, one day, will be given a glorious new body. And looking at you, I, I guess that's quite a relief. <laughs> it's quite a relief for me. <laughs> Look at what it says in Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely body to be like his glorious body. There it is, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. This is the last part of the redemption process. And there is a process that all of us have gone through. Um, and Paul very helpfully maps that for us here in Romans 8. And he says, for those whom he predestined, did you know that you were predestined? He also called, he called you. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's the day when God, you became a Christian and you said, yes, Lord, I believe. And God declared over you, you are not guilty in my sight. You were justified in a moment. Wonderful moment. And it also says, those whom he justified will also be glorified. So just as you have believed in Jesus, just as you are born again, one day you will also be glorified. That is good news. 
That's really, really good news. And that's going to happen on the day that Jesus returns, the Bible tells us. We're going to receive new resurrection bodies. So our souls will be put into these new, glorious resurrection bodies. And there's every indication from, from the Bible to say that these bodies will shine with glory just as we have seen Jesus' body. It's weird, isn't it? Like having a new body. It's tough to get your head around, but we take it by faith, don't we? This is the word of God. Okay, last thing I'd just like to look at here is Peter. Because I really laugh at Peter. He's such a character. He's really funny. Here he is. So here he is. This is Peter. and he, um, So all this glory is happening. And his response, Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents. Uh, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. In one of the other Gospels, it said he was so terrified, he hadn't got a clue what he was saying. <laughs> so, so here he is. They, bless him. He's having this incredible experience of the glory of God, and he manages to utter complete garbage all the way through it. <clears throat> He hasn't got a clue as to what's going on, yet he still manages to make suggestions uh, about what should happen that are completely irrelevant. <laughs> completely irrelevant. I was thinking about it. This is the only guy I can think of who is literally covered in glory, who goes through a situation and comes out not covered in glory. <laughs> I think, how did he manage that? That's an extraordinary thing. So bless him. Bless him. So this is all happening. And what is Peter thinking? Peter's looking around, looking at the glory of God. And he's thinking, I, I, I know. I know what we need. Tents. Tents. We need tents. Obviously, we need tents. Yes, yes. It all makes so much sense to me now. We need tents. To, I like tents. You know, tents are very useful. You know, I know that uh, Moses and Elijah have been dead for hundreds of years. But if they might want to pop back occasionally, and then we've got a little place for them to stay. And then, you know, Jesus, we've got a place for you too. Just a little community thing going on here. Hey, I've got this sussed. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you think, oh, I wonder if there was a time when Peter stopped and thought, you twit. <laughs> you twit. And not only were you an absolute twit in all of it, it's going to get written down in Scripture. And that means... For, for thousands of years, every single Christian will have a little giggle at your expense. Oh, what a, why did I say that? You can only imagine. He thought, what have I done? I think the wonder, though, here is that even though Peter hasn't got a clue what's going on, God did know what was going on. And he knew what Peter needed to see and what he needed to hear and what he needed to understand. God knew that this was preparation for something that he would urgently need just a little bit down the line. And sometimes I would suggest we go through experiences in life and we think, I made a total mess of that. I didn't really understand what was going on. And I suggested this, this and this. And that was completely off the wall. I shouldn't have done that. This was right. But the thing is, God knows you. And he knows the experiences that you need. And he knows how to equip you in ways that you can't currently see or understand. That's meant to be a relief, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Remember, Peter is also the man that God looked at and said, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. Isn't it encouraging? A guy so foundational to the Christian church made such a hash of it. He really did. Let's pray together again. Father, I thank you that you are good. And uh, Lord, I thank you that you love to help us. Thank you that you are glorious. Lord, I thank you that you've got plans for a new body for us. Father, we just honor you again. We just worship you, the glorious living God. In Jesus' name, amen.